fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. Several shots were fired as President Kennedy's motorcade passed through downtown Dallas. None of us will ever forget this day, yet we go forward to defend freedom and all that is good and just in our world. This is just a thing, please. Oh, you're coming out of Welcome to the Hagman Daily Show, weekdays 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And now your hosts, Joe Hagman and John Robertson. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday, July 18th, 2018 edition of the Hagman Daily Show. We have a great show lined up for you today. Stephen Menking is already on with us and John is with me today also. And we are going to jump right into it as uh, Stephen's time is limited as he has uh, some other obligations he needs to attend to. So uh, I guess where to start, guys? We uh, didn't really get into what we wanted to talk about today, but there is no shortage of news to get into. Uh, we see the media uh, it continues in its hysteria. We see that uh, it looks as though the uh, uh, everything continues to move uh, in the direction um, against the best interests of the American people and the citizens of the world and all the political, financial, and other areas of uh, our society. But it's uh, it's great to be here. And uh, Stephen, I don't know where you want to start today, so just t- I'm handing it right off to you. Well, thanks again for welcoming me back on the Hagman Daily Show. Joe, it's a pleasure to be here and a privilege to speak with you and with John about the things that we see and the things that we are hearing all around us. I do have a a psalm prepared. However, I want to save that for my uh, one segment appearance on the flagship show this evening. And in lieu of that, uh, because my time is limited, as you mentioned, I will just mention a proverb. So uh, I'm going to point everyone towards Proverbs 18, verse 2. And I like the ESV translation of this. Uh, It reads, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So when we think about the dynamic that's currently taking place, this like exhausted, hyperbolic uh, rage and outrage and, uh, you know, just the rhetoric is beyond the pale. And it's designed that way and is a reaction for a variety of different reasons. But it is very clear that there are a great many on all sorts of different sides of the aisle, quote unquote, or of different worldviews who are ready and willing at any moment to express their opinion and are not willing, unfortunately, to do the due diligence and the research that goes into having an informed and a well-understood opinion. And so that, the Bible says, is a foolish kind of endeavor. And so for me, when I look at 
the way that different kinds of events, whether we're talking about the Helsinki summit or the different testimonies that have been going on on the Hill or anything else for that matter, I do my best to to take my time to see not only what the immediate reaction is, but how many sort of cycles things go through to play out. I mean, before before earlier this week, you know, it was uh, the appointment of Judge Kavanaugh. And then it, before that, it was uh, the crisis at the border and everything else. So, you know, the question is how much additional ammunition and outrage is actually possible to extract out of people. And I think you have a variety of different tipping points that you could see, but on on one hypothesis says that eventually people are going to be so riled up that it boils over into more widespread kind of violence than even the the rioting and the different things that we've been seeing because that's been uh, fairly localized to specific jurisdictions where it's easier to mobilize people who uh, apparently have nothing better to do than to espouse communism and to break things um, and to accost people. But uh, and of course the the pun about Jim Acosta is uh, is warranted here since he does like to accost the president and to and everyone else. But we'll leave that aside for now to say that that hypothesis about the the civil war 2.0 and everything else is def is definitely viable it's in it's in the cards right now however it doesn't necessarily have to go into that realm in my estimation i think that there is a counterbalancing dynamic of outrage fatigue where people have their own lives to live and their own lives to get to and so to be honest you know we may be in a situation where it's actually to a significant benefit that most people simply don't choose to pay attention to political things. They have they have other uh, other life affairs on their mind, and that's not how they choose to spend their time. So, of course, let's say inside of Washington D.C., the the Helsinki summit would be uh, the the talk of the town, and there you know no way to cover anything else because it's the source of the latest fresh outrage. It's like a it's like a drug for these people almost. But elsewhere elsewhere in America, people are looking at the reality on on the ground, and they're looking at something that's entirely different. So. When we think about people who don't care about knowledge and wisdom and really uh, doing doing research and coming to coming to a full understanding of the dynamics and the trends and the decisions and the and the spiritual dynamics and the personalities that have put us where we are today, but rather will at the outset of any event seek to just spout their spout their own opinion, then you know, that really is a scenario where people are capable of being misled by fools. And so I don't know what you guys think about this dynamic, but but for me, I, I see a bit of outrage fatigue uh, sort of wherever I look. It, it just seems like rather than rather than boiling over, people don't necessarily have the spine for that unless they're hardened uh, hardened revolutionaries, whether underground types, et cetera. And that uh, even a small number of those people really dedicated and, and coordinated could cause a significant deal of, uh, of damage. But I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the outrage fatigue hypothesis myself. But again, you know, that's not to say those things are set in stone. I just see these countervailing dynamics. And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't consider both sides of uh, both sides of that coin here. 
Absolutely. You know, that's an interesting point you make, Stephen. And welcome back to the show, by the way. In fact, uh, my apologies for not being with you last week. As you well know, uh, I seem to have an issue where all my teeth keep falling out of my head. So as soon as all 30 whatever teeth are gone, I'll be talking a little bit more like this, but I'll be with you every week. <laughs> um, <laughs> that being said, outrage fatigue. Let's unpack that a little bit because uh, I think we're all feeling a, a, a modicum of it to one degree or another. Well, yeah, yeah. I think I think the idea, um, Joe. I'll, I'll just mention this quickly, and then I'll pass it off to you. I think the idea is that it is physically costly to maintain a state of outrage or heightened emotion. It creates anxiety and stress, and that isn't just a mental state of affairs. It is a biochemical and a physical state of affairs. It causes the release of cortisol, a hormone that essentially pumps your body full of adrenaline and a variety of other uh, other chemicals so that you can be hyper-aware and uh, and respond and be ready to fight or to flee. It's, the, it's a fight-or-flight response stimulating hormone. And so if you exist in those kind of scenarios for an extended period of time, your body literally burns itself out. It's like whenever we're experiencing heightened emotion, particularly heightened negative emotion like like rage, it it uh, deprives us of our natural uh, our natural ability to uh, to rest and to and to recuperate, and so it really is draining. And that's why you saw you know you see various regimes, particularly inside of military operations. Whether we're talking about World War II and you know a lot of the uh, German and, and Nazi regiments being on speed, essentially, like you need to you need to fuel this with amphetamines, essentially, to counteract this. But that's not a long run solution because that causes people to you know burn the candle at uh, not just both ends but along all the sides also so you know uh, this this fatigue is not just a mental thing people can be outraged as long as as long as they like particularly if they are stuck in that uh, but it does require um, some additional resources of energy and even dare I say demonic empowerment to sustain that over over a long period of time for most people who are you know, genuinely surprised and who may join into an outrage campaign, it's just not something that can be sustained because of uh, loss, of, loss of sleep and the other kind of physical symptoms that go along with it. And, you know, it can spiral from outrage into a, a more depressive kind of state, which leaves you uh, powerless to act. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you, but I've got, I've got one final comment on this because this has really been front and center on my mind, particularly over the weekend. Uh, long story short, I got accused by some idiot on Twitter of being a spy for uh, Vets for Child Rescue. It was, it's really kind of funny in hindsight, but on the day it kind of bugged me. So I was not, I'm not in reality producing the Hagman Report this entire time, Stephen. I have been a spy for Vets for Child Rescue. Now, to this day, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be spying on or what my mission is. Uh, and when I, called, when I called Craig Sawyer, I said, Craig, what is my mission, sir? Uh, as your new spy. And he said, well, if you could get that piece I did on the Thai cave rescue cut and segment, I'd like to get it up on Facebook. <laughs> so that was that was kind of funny. But uh, but uh, no, the, the comment I made on a, on a video on Twitter over the weekend went something like this. What's happening right now, and we saw it really, really prevalent with Tucson with the hashtag backyard brawl is people put their emotions uh, uh, at the forefront. They they formed a news hypothesis based on emotion 
rather than based on the facts as best we can disseminate the facts from the fake news. So my my uh, uh, comment, Stephen, and I'll, I'll bounce it to you and to Joe, um, was was that the reason it's so important that we keep those in order is that the news in, in many cases is just toxic. It, it, it's toxicity. It's almost like you're, you're putting informational poison in your system. And our emotions are designed to enable us to expunge that negativity, that toxin from our system. So here's a, here's a, a, a pedestrian example. Uh, you read in the news that an innocent family was, I don't know, uh, killed by a drunk driver. Okay, that puts a certain level of uh, maybe depression or frustration or, my goodness, what's the world come to type of feeling inside you. Then our emotions kind of serve as that catharsis machine, whether you laugh a little, you cry a little, uh, or, you, you, you know, you go out with friends, you work out, maybe you go knock a few back, whatever it is you do to, to, to deal with your, your edge – uh, that that sort of expunges that that sense. So so the key is to have information first and then emotional response, not to do the junk science technique and form an emotional thesis and then sort of tailor the facts as you read them throughout the day or throughout the news cycle to support that emotional hypothesis, which may or may not be correct. And frankly, gentlemen, oftentimes is not correct. Well, that's right. And, you know, one thing I you talk about the outrage fatigue, I notice that with this, uh, you know, we talk about this all the time, how uh, with the rise of technology and the, uh, you know, no longer does the American people have the attention span uh, of of anything that was once what they once had it's been reduced you know but what people say 160 characters on twitter or a, a 60 second soundbite and i think that has a correlation also to the uh, amount of patience that has been lost when you see uh, in in society people who are involved in conflicts or or you know uh, road rage will say it, it's like uh, uh, there's no patience and everybody get, will get so angry and they instantly turn to violence where and, and that has been increasing that kind of uh, 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 craziness and hostility and I think it's as I said related to uh, you know everything we see not only the rhetoric in the media but uh, the way we live our lives and and what we do and don't do to take care of ourselves plays a big part in this and uh, it, it's a problem Stephen and John that I don't think uh, is going to be able to be solved outside of a spiritual solution and um, you know how do you how do you undo that how do you unprogram uh, somebody that's what it's going to take but you have to be willing to do that uh, in the first place so you know well, that's why it's so important that uh, we read scripture and it tells us about uh, how to deal with these things without uh, turning to that uh, you know just kind of turning over to that rage that so many people seem to be inclined to do without thinking or without hesitation I think that's an excellent point, Joe. And on my end, there is a, an interesting pair of phenomena on on one side of the coin. You do, like you said, have this idea of time compression where in an era where many people's attention spans have been reduced significantly in order to provoke an emotional response in 60 seconds or 280 characters or whatever you have to really capture people's attention, then you have to make it hyperbolic because otherwise it's not even going to register. And so you have this vicious cycle where uh, if everything is hyperbolic, then the only way that you can get extra attention is to be 
excessively hyperbolic because otherwise people are just going to scroll through it. It's like, okay, well, this is normal. This is status quo. And so that that adjustment keeps on happening. So you get further and further and further into this land of uh, perpetually escalating outrage. And it, it's almost hellish in its in its complexion. But on the other hand, you have the availability of long form audio and and video content that people are now uh, really taking to their to their benefit and it's a it's a powerful kind of thing because if it's a universal uh, case that everyone's attention spans have been compressed to such a degree then there's no way that you guys could have a massive audience the way that you do for a three-hour flagship broadcast that that occurs every weeknight and so i think there is this this dichotomy forming where many people are taking advantage of the availability of long-form content to really engage with uh, powerful questions and ideas and dynamics and trends and themes and that they are able to see past and move through the the five-second soundbite culture and that the technology of whether we're talking about podcasting platforms or YouTube or anything else is is opening this up and uh, and Jordan Peterson is someone who articulates this quite eloquently when he expresses his profound surprise that you know that millions and millions of people would watch his his lectures his his college level lectures and he points out that you know, when we are driving or commuting or doing uh, work around the house, we now have the opportunity to continue our education and expand our knowledge and our thinking uh, because of this advent of technology and all things considered relative to the timeline of human civilization it's a it's a new uh, it's a new sort of thing and so for us I, I would I would emphasize that there is this other side of the coin I don't think it's universal that people's um, people's attention spans are being compressed I think that is true for a sizable um, a sizable amount of people but that on on the other hand, I think plenty of people would share our sentiment that we're kind of sick of that and we understand that that doesn't lead to the right kind of uh, of personal growth and, and advancement that we need in order to be su- be successful in any pursuit, spiritual, um, economic, uh, career, family, relationship, or, or otherwise. And so – Again, just like the idea of uh, of outrage and negative emotion potentially leading into a boiling over or into uh, uh, an outrage fatigue that kind of silences out or like spits some people out as they can't handle it uh, anymore and they just sort of tune out the tune out the nonsense. I think that there also is a uh, a dichotomy on the side of attention span and. Uh, just a general comment because this seems to be the theme here. We want to make sure that in highlighting one aspect of these different dynamics that we always have in mind and give expression to the the full picture. Now, 
in in this in this particular instance with the with an attention span, it's uh, it's almost become cliche to say, oh well, nobody pays attention to anything anymore. And to a certain extent, that is true. Cliches uh, become cliches because there is accuracy in them. You, you can't have something become cliche if it's not um, if it doesn't bear some correspondence to at least some portion of reality. However, there there are always dynamics where there are moves and counter moves and trends and counter trends and and reactions to different things and i think there is a large a larger than you think and growing uh, proportion of the population not just here in the us but globally who is kind of over the you know over just the snapshot and the you know the falsified social media images and and everything like that and they want true in-depth discussion of real issues uh, but you know the outrage campaigns and and the machine of uh, of negative emotions that attempts to divide and distract and everything else like that can't can't really have that so they'll strike out against it wherever wherever they can and it seems like the best defense against that is to uh, is to pillory and uh, and try to shame and and name call and all these standard kind of tactics and so I don't think that those uh, those approaches, are sustainable in the long run because they're now uh, technological and social solutions to breaking out of that box. And I think more and more people are doing that every day because of the genuine fulfillment that you get from uh, from exploring ideas and really trying to educate yourself and being exposed to different things in a in a meaningful way uh, that you can apply in your own life, as opposed to just you know five or ten seconds that are meant to uh, provoke either an emotional reaction or a financial decision. But I. I do have to run here in a in a minute is there anything else that i can that i can comment on that you guys think would be valuable well i don't know steven uh just uh, your your uh one of the outrageous uh things that we've seen is this media reaction to president trump and putin uh president putin of russia meeting and uh you know they they've called it an abomination they are uh, just up in arms about it you know i said yesterday usually they're at a, a high nine uh, of uh, insanity but they went to an 11 uh with this with this uh, whole russia thing and i just uh i want to i mean what's your how how does this happen i mean they they just make this stuff up and they they create these talking lines they put it out there and are, are people believing this do you think the average american or anybody uh who is is of a right mind who doesn't run around hating trump 24 7 do you think any average american has shares the same sentiment of outrage that the media is uh purporting there are going there are going to be some but i think fewer than we would be inclined to believe based on following uh, following mainstream media headlines and and the reporting on on Twitter. So you know what I did, I, I watched the press conference. It didn't seem like treason to me. Maybe some different things could have been restated in an appropriate kind of in a in a more uh, succinct or direct kind of fashion. But I mean, for me, I, you know, I. I support I support President Trump and I want uh, and and in fact need the U.S. and Russia to be making progress on all kinds of coordinated uh, coordinated goals, even if we understand that there is a quasi adversarial relationship that continues. I mean, but I think the important dynamic that I'd like to highlight is that if you look at, let's say, the different recordings of things that were of the 
of the conference that were that were live streamed and you look at the comments the outrage the outrage isn't there it's it's all it's all trump people and these are not uh these are not exclusively bots uh, right. as defined by the people who would say oh anyone who supports trump or russia or anything is by definition they meet the criteria that we've evaluated to be russian bot activity and it's like you guys are it's it's an absurd reaction and i would say why do they do this joe i would say it's because they have to they yeah. have they've they've dialed they've dialed it up and they can't dial it back down. <laughs> That's very and so true. yeah, this is this this is the strategy. They have to dial it up so that people will be motivated to go out and, and vote with the um the moral imperative illusion of of saving saving the country and saving the world because they can't do it using uh facts on the ground of, of real life, whether we're talking about um economy, jobs or overall well being. Uh, you know, so they have to essentially say, "All right, you you better you better vote because otherwise you're a Nazi." And like that's that's the that's the absolute state yeah. of what we see going on right now. I I do have to jump, uh, gentlemen. So thank you so much for for the time here today. It's a it's always great to spend the time with you, and I look forward to uh, to joining up on the flagship later on this evening. Absolutely, Stephen. Do me a favor when your time permits. Uh, call me offline before we do this evening's program. All right. God bless you guys. All right. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was uh, Stephen Menken. And again, he'll be on the uh, Hagman Report tonight. Now, where do we go from here after uh, that discussion? John, I got some things I've been looking into. I've been doing some, as I said, me too. Uh, some biblical uh, research and, and study, which has led me to some very interesting uh, uh, side down some very interesting side roads. Now I'm not sure if you saw as part of the backlash to the President Trump and Russia meeting, there was a comment of some pundit who said that we need a shadow government inside our own government to control uh, President or control the country because the president can't do it. But anyway, I, I have a few questions I'm going to throw out there. Does the Vatican own the Federal Reserve? Uh, and does anybody has anybody heard of the president who president lincoln blamed for the civil war uh, i found this so fascinating that sure. this is where i want to lead with sure uh, okay president lincoln said this war would have never been possible without the sinister influence of the jesuits we owe it to the popery that we now see our land reddedness with blood of her noblest sons Though there were great differences of opinion between the South and the North on the questions of slavery, neither Jeff Davis nor any one of the leading men of the Confederacy would have dared attack the North if they had not relied on the promise of the Jesuits that under the mask of democracy, the money and arms of the Roman Catholics, even the arms of France were at their disposal if they would attack us. Now, he had a friend, uh, Abraham Lincoln did, Charles Cheney. And mm -hmm. he did a 20-year study and concluded that Rome, or the Jesuits, the black pope, was responsible for Lincoln's assassination. And I'm not doing this or saying these things to bash Catholics, but in the research that I've been doing, I've been uh, seeing a lot more things in the Vatican uh, yes. as far as the connections. And uh, when we when we think about uh, I've been yesterday, John. When you were in here, I got into a little study of uh, in Jeremiah fifty, and mm -hmm. its correlations to uh, the global governments and the city states. We had uh, Babylon was a city state 
Um, and it was a, not only a city-state, it was a nation. But we have these uh, systems of power today. London is the, a city-state, which is the financial control arm. You have the United States, which is a, the D.C. is a city-state, which is the military control arm. And you have Rome or the Vatican, uh, which is a city-state, which is the religious arm you could you know you could you could just 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 for just for some sort of bizarre consistency you could kind of throw quebec city in there as well because the quebecois regard themselves as a french um province in canada which is under the english crown but nonetheless uh if you ask anybody from quebec that quebec city is also regarded as a city state again under the french flag it's a very complicated thing but you can throw quebec city in there too well, you know, this uh, led me to some interesting avenues, and I think I included you on the email, John, but I did a quick search. As I said, who owns the Federal Reserve? And I, uh, I'm on federalreserve.gov, and this is what they say. Who owns the Federal Reserve? The Federal Reserve is not owned by anyone, although parts of the system share some characteristics with private sector entities. The Federal Reserve was... Uh, established to serve the public interest. The Federal Reserve derives its authority from Congress, which created the system in 1913 with the enactment of the Federal Reserve Act. The central banking system has three important features. One, a central governing board. Two, a decentralizing operating structure of 12 Federal Reserve banks. Three, a blend of public and private characteristics. The Board of Governors in Washington, D.C. is an agency of the federal government. The board members are appointed by the president. But it goes on to talk about, uh, basically, they say they don't say who owns it. They will not disclose that information to you or to me. And they, uh, so that begs the question. Uh, obviously, we see these power structures and fa families and uh, satanic uh, elitists. We like to blame the Rothschilds. But what if the Rothschilds are just a representation or a partnership, uh, you know, with the Vatican in this because and i say all this because when we look at prophecy it's very specific uh about the characteristics of um of the vatican and i'm not talking about catholics or their faith i'm talking about the, the hierarchy of the power structure of the vatican and their i believe and their organizations the jesuits and the and the, and the black pope uh there's something here there's a lot of stuff here that is overlooked that has been exposed by the protestant reformation but since the uh, uh america had become a global power it seems that the vatican has been able to regain the power and authority that it has lost in the past well that's an interesting point you make up uh, a couple of so there's a couple questions on the table first who owns the federal reserve um if you dig deep enough it's it's a consortium of 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 british nobility uh, a lot of people don't realize that the House of Windsor actually changed their name around World War One. Uh, it used they used to be a, a very Germanic last name, and I believe it was from Prussia. Uh, long history lesson, super short. Up until 1871, Germany as a country was not Germany. It was it was Prussia, and it was um, Bavaria, and it was all the different what would be now considered states or provinces. But but they used to all be separate fiefdoms. They weren't unified until the 1870s well central banking or the concept thereof has been around far before that and it, it actually comes from the medici family um out of italy uh and some of the earliest banking and then it, it moved over into germany where uh people like uh adam weishaupt 
uh, picked up the concept as a control mechanism in the late 18th century. Uh, it is certainly multi-generationally, uh, if not totally owned, certainly operated by, again, the multi-generational Rothschild. Evelyn Rothschild would be the 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 familia, if you will, of the of the family at this time. Uh, but um, but everything and I don't mean this disrespectfully, Joe, but everything you just enumerated as far as the white paper characteristics of the Federal Reserve go are all lies. Every single one of those are lies. Um, it's 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 a it, in a long story short, it's a it's a money scam that figured out about a hundred years ago. It's actually the, the concept's been around about three hundred years, but a hundred years ago it was implemented in this country. And the bottom line with the scam is this, and for especially for new listeners, this is where you want to start your homework. They figured out how to take value, a, a, a increment of value, a, a silver a quarter or a silver half dollar or, or a $10 gold piece. They figured out how to do away with that and take the currency that we carry and we use for barter every day and make it debt-based. That was the trick. The key was to make everybody carry debt believing that they're actually carrying something of value. That's the biggest lie or the biggest scam inherent to the Federal Reserve. Now, when you get into the question of the Jesuits, I'm going to be completely honest with our listeners. Um, I find the Jesuits very fascinating. I am not up to speed to have a conversation with the Je about the Jesuits uh, today. But what I would like to do, Joe, if you're interested in it, we can talk about it offline. I would very much like to get somebody on in the near future who is an expert on the Jesuits. And I know we know quite a few people who are. Now, Joe, I'll bounce it back to you. But my understanding of the Jesuits, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is that the Jesuits are almost like the ninjas of the of the of Roman Catholicism. Uh, they are they, they have been noted as responsible for everything from uh, going all the way back to the Knights of Malta and, and protection for uh, Western European pilgrims that were making their pilgrimage to Jerusalem up to the more modern times. Uh, there is uh, a supposition and uh, guests like Steve Quayle and Tom Horn and uh, prior to his uh, unfortunate demise last spring, uh, Chris Putnam, who did some fantastic shows on the Hagman Report back in 2013, 2014. Uh, Joe suggesting that the Jesuits have what I would call an, a, a, an archaeological cleaning crew uh, meaning, of course, that whenever there are uh, implements or archaeological evidence of the veracity of the Bible that are found, uh, there is supposition out there that the Jesuits will come in kind of commando style and they'll they'll clean it up before it can be uh, peer reviewed by academia and published, etc. And uh, they squirrel it away to the to the basement of the Vatican. Now, I don't know how much of that is true. But I've seen pictures of the basement of the Vatican, and there's an awful lot of antiquities, and there's an awful lot of gold. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry, John. I was uh, unmuted, but not on the Skype level. Yeah. But, you know, there is uh, so much, as you said, I am just starting in this uh, uh, avenue of research, which um, I've, I've gathered a lot of notes, but I have, have not ready to have an informed discussion uh, at all about it uh, and, and I've been aware and familiar with the Jesuit you know the secret societies and the black pope but it's not not something I've ever really dug into except uh, the oath I don't know how many people are familiar with the oath I don't know if we should read it on air but I would urge everybody to search out the the oath of the Jesuits where it basically dedicates uh, their their life and their worship to the pope and says 
in very graphic detail how they will dismember, burn, fillet children, mothers, it doesn't matter, uh, and any enemy of the, the, the Pope uh, in Rome. And it is uh, very detailed and it's long, so you can read that at your own leisure. Some people will de deny its authenticity, but it is the actual uh, uh, oath of the Jesuits. And you have to ask yourself, when we look at Bible prophecy, why, why did Constantine adopt Christianity as the official religion of Rome after persecuting Christians for hundreds of years? And it was for control. And again, I don't have all the uh, information in front of me. I'm still doing the research. But we see uh, and we know the Vatican is a major player in all the end times prophecies that we read. And I am watching a fascinating video that I am one hour and 12 minutes into. It's a two hour video on YouTube. It's titled From Babylon to America, the Prophecy Movie. And this thing, uh, this guy who does this uh, only uses scripture. He just uses the scriptures to unpack or to reveal uh, what prophecy, what, what other scriptures are saying. All scripture is uh, and can be only approved by other scriptures. That's how you know it is the living word of God. But the, this guy does an amazing job. But uh, again, that's just part of the, the research I'm doing. But Now, who is the, uh, who, give us the name of the, the, the researcher that you're uh, reviewing. The name of the channel is School for Prophets. We'll have to write, write that down. I think I think what we need to do, Joe, is uh, talk to some of our experts. I know we could uh, reach out to Dr. Tom Horn. I think uh, Mike Gendron would be pretty yeah. high on that list. And, there, and there's a few others we can talk to as well. But when we get into the Jesuits, the Vatican, and central banking, ooh, I'll tell you who might be a really good one. Uh, I will reach out to Dr. Paul L. Williams, who wrote Operation Gladio, and he also wrote that great book about the Vatican that came out last year. He's a man who could probably really help us unpack this, Joe. Yeah, uh, and, and you know, again, what piqued my interest was really that, uh, uh, and, and this was not part of uh, the movie I'm watching now. This guy doesn't really get <clears throat> into the Jesuit aspect. He gets into the uh, uh, he unpacks Daniel and Revelation and and the uh, kingdoms and and the prophecies of uh, the timeline that God has given us of what was and what is to come. And uh, it, it's just fascinating. But what I was watching another uh, YouTube video that led me to that President Lincoln quote about the Civil War. And I just uh, since I've heard that quote, since I read President Lincoln's own uh, words about the Jesuit influence being directly responsible for the start of the Civil War. That really has my curiosity. My my antenna radars are are, are going, uh, and well, I really want to spend like you know a few days just in front of my computer gathering as much information as possible to see what I can come up with. Well, there there's a couple of interesting things. First of all. Uh, Catholicism um, was big in the North because so, so when we look at the Civil War real quick, we had 23 states in the North fight 11 in the South. And we know the North had all of them. They had all the in industry at the beginning of the Civil War. The South didn't own a, a single cannon manufacturing facility. But most of the people in the South, interestingly, had a, a either English or French Protestant uh, uh, religiosity uh, in, in their families. So 
you were dealing very much with, I think, a brand of Christianity, Joe, that we would probably recognize at, at least to some degree today. Now, when you looked at the North, you had an enormous influx of the Irish, for example, also the Italians, both of whom were coming from primarily Catholic countries, and both of whom, particularly the Irish, were susceptible to um, to uh, a subscription, to being uh, uh, drafted into the northern forces. They had entire Irish divisions in, uh, in the Civil War. So, so a component to the war between the states, the Catholic component being more prevalent in the northern army and the Protestant component uh, being more prevalent uh, in the Confederate states. Yeah, and John, you were having a, a little bit of a uh, audio issue. It, it scrambled there for a, maybe a sentence or two. Um, but you know, this is one of the, one of the most fascinating things that uh, proves the you know not only existence but the uh, the mercy and the and the grace of God is to give us His His holy word in the form of the Bible that we have, and it is a, a living Bible, and, and it, it is uh, tells the beginning from the end. And if we have the patience, if we have the devotion and the dedication, we can uh, uh, gain the discernment through our our studies and. You know, when we look at, especially, see, this is where I find myself, John. Uh, we either talk about the news or we talk about prophecy and scripture. Now, when we talk about the news, it's almost like uh, we're, we're just, you know, uh, reciting uh, the highlights from the day's events. But when we talk about uh, I know, and it can just drag you down so bad, too. Go ahead, though. Yeah, but when we talk about scripture and prophecy, to me, I mean, that it's uh, it's it brings hope. Um, it brings intrigue. And it, it, as you said, it doesn't bring the frustration. It doesn't bring the uh, animosity and the, and the, you know, wanting to rip your own hair out. Uh, uh, and that's where uh, I was talking about to you off air the other day that um, when we're talking about things like prophecy and, and scripture and faith, that it's it's almost natural. You don't have to <clears throat> really think about it. it. It's comfortable to me, at least more comfortable than covering the news. But especially I mean, there's nothing more. In, so many people today are caught up by uh, you know TV shows and the entertainment industry, you know, but there is so much that can be done by individual people using the powers of technology and information to understand exactly where we are in the uh, in God's timeline and and identifying those uh, powers human powers that are working against us and at least that's the start to a better understanding why we see uh, the craziness that we see in the political world and we don't have, I mean, everything happens in the spiritual first, and it manifests itself in the physical. So we know that, that something is going yes. on in the spiritual that, world. Well, I just, I'm sorry to jump you there, buddy, but that is, that may be the most crucial takeaway from our, our broadcast here this afternoon. And I apologize for any poor uh, uh, audio quality. I'm, I'm Skyping from my iPhone today, again, because... I know you mentioned this earlier in the week, but uh, Joe, what happened to you with Skype three days ago happened to me this morning, and uh, I have to go through a whole, I guess I have to reboot it, I don't know. But anyway, uh, all of that being said, the, I think the most important thing uh, that you've said today is, is exactly that. Um, and, and, and I would further it by saying that for me personally, I'm reminded every day now to try to keep better balance in, in, in all things. Because if, if I don't, then what happens is I work my butt off all week long and then 
the weekends are either lost to sleep or to uh, erratic behavior <laughs> because you yep. got to blow off steam. Um, so, uh, so, so finding that balance, I, I think it's really key for all of our listeners at this point. And I wish I had some kind of magic potion, you know, and could tell people, well, this is exactly what you do, but I can only tell people what I do. And I, you know, Joe, I had a very productive conversation with Sheila Zelinsky a little bit on the late side last night. Uh, of course, she's over on the West coast. So, uh, we had a, a, a discussion and, and really we just talked about the, um, what we both perceive to be the, uh, for lack of a better term, the moles that are that are coming into the new media now. You figure it's been 18 months since uh, we Trojan horsed the uh, tech tyrant turnkey companies. We got President Donald Trump elected, and it's been payback time ever since. Now, Sheila and I were sort of batting this idea back and forth, and it ties into what you were just saying. Does it not make sense that the primary attacks that will try to take us out through lawfare, through libel, through slander, through just making up, you know, garbage memes on Twitter, trying to uh, uh, denigrate yourself or Doug Hagman or besmirch me or whatever. Doesn't it stand to reason that the powers that be will construct those moles first and foremost from the church? Because they know that our biggest Achilles heel as Christians is that we are, we are to encourage one another and we're to be known by the word of our testimony. And what part of that scripture means, at least to me anyway, is that we are supposed to accept one another's testimony at face value, to be known by the word of your testimony. And then, of course, to be known by your fruit. Well, when you meet somebody, what do you hear first? You hear the testimony and then you see the fruit. And I think, Joe, that we may need to really be on our toes that there could be some wolves in sheep's clothing uh, come in our direction here, 2018, 2019, and guess guess where they're going to come from? They're not going to come from Antifa. They're going to come from the church. Yeah. Well, there is a, a whole lot of, of, of information that uh, I have in front of me to, to continue this discussion, but let's kind of switch gears in the remaining time we have left, which is, what, about 15 minutes, um, and because uh, I'm not ready to, I, I'm still very in the, in the very beginning stages of this. And one last note, and maybe other people can look into this too, because I found this interesting and I'm looking for uh, this information and I found the document, but I don't know that I've uh, uh, actually got the right one, but apparently there's a encyclopedia from 1902, the Catholic encyclopedia that details how basically the district of Columbia is owned by Rome and it was a parcel of land in Maryland that was owned before the revolutionary war uh, by the uh, Roman Catholic Church which ended up being turned into Washington DC the federal land and what was the first capital of America was it not Philadelphia why did uh, they it was move New the York. capital from the first capital was New York New York okay. <clears throat> then they moved it to Philly but one of the interesting things, you look at the two states, Virginia and Maryland, uh, in the first parts of each of those uh, names, Virginia, Virgin, Maryland, Mary. I interesting. Just find these, these, uh, Very interesting. Nice or, catch. It, it's just so, there's so much here, and I think there's so much more uh, that we can find. And I'm not trying to, I don't have a conclusion that I'm trying to find facts to fit 
I, I, I've uh, just found and come across some interesting clues, and that is uh, uh, leading me to some interesting avenues of research. But in, even in this Catholic encyclopedia, it talks about the uh, Maryland, uh, by the laws of Maryland, the uh, public exercise of Catholic worship was prohibited during the 18th century. Uh, the faithful depended for the spiritual aid on the Jesuit fathers from White Marsh, Prince George's County, or Thomas Manor's Charles County. Stations were visited and mass was celebrated in private homes for a room being set aside for the purpose, the neighbors being invited. Anyway, it goes on to talk about the old Jesuit missions and how they uh, were able to start Georgetown University. And uh, the, one of the, the independence of the United States ensured religious liberty and a new era for the Catholic faith in Maryland. Now understand the Jesuits were, were banished and prohibited in many countries. But the freedom of religion in America gave uh, not only them but other uh, 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 secret societies room and freedom to come back and worship uh, without, you know, the governments uh, continuing to to throw them out of their countries where they were working in because they are all working uh, to the divide and conquer strategy. And it's just a very interesting piece of history that, uh, you know, what we see as America, uh, a nation that has been granted, you know, more freedoms to its citizens than any other nation in history, what if that was done for the dual purposes of also granting the the evil that's those same freedoms where they didn't have that before and oh, the wow. influence of those man you're asking huge questions today and i wish i wish that we had a little bit more uh uh homework time on this but we'll just have to we'll have to just take this moment and do our homework from here but i do know this okay uh one of the best books i've ever read was uh called i think it was called lightning struck or thunderstruck but it was the story of Martin Luther and and the entire backstory as to why he tacked his protestations on the church in Scotland. And essentially what was happening is the Catholic Church, <clears throat> in order to monetize the building of the original Vatican, they were selling indulgences. Now imagine this, Joe. Right. They were taking the, the, the work of Christ on the cross and they were monetizing it and they were telling their uh their uh their their members that they could get their relatives out of this made-up place called purgatory uh sooner yeah. if they sent x number of dollars to the roman catholic church and and joe the reason i bring this up is i suspect and and again i apologize i know i'm gonna get emails mary w if you're listening i apologize and by the way you never emailed me back but um that I think, Joe, is when Satan really began to creep into the Roman Catholic Church, when they when they took the notion that when they took the audacity, I would even go as far as to say the blasphemy of 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 monetizing no, the sanctifying blood of Christ. No, that's exactly what it is. In that video I talked to you about earlier, uh, from Babylon to America, uh, the, the the person who does the video actually lays out all the characteristics of the little horn in Daniel. And then he, uh, one of those is speaking great blasphemies. And he goes through uh, what are uh, other scriptural examples of blasphemy. And one of those is uh, a man uh, saying that he is able to uh, forgive sin. 
and or through you know penance or payment uh, or any other way that is one example of blasphemy that is used in mark when the jews tried to accuse jesus of that because they said he wasn't they didn't believe he was uh, god and that is exactly and so there's all these uh, the bible's very accurate uh, that's all i'll say on that but we have a uh, a lot of work to do in this area but see when you're trying to balance the current events, what people find important on a day-to-day basis uh, with thing, with topics like this, you know, it can get hectic and, and uh, it's hard to move from, uh, you know, talking about the history of the, the founding of the United States and the, uh, the the Catholic Church and what it all means and, and where we oh, are today. It gets downright confusing. To, what it, it, you know. this, to look at the news and say, oh, you know, uh, uh, the media is just insane over Trump right now. One of the interesting things with the whole Trump thing is Russia has liquidated its holdings of U.S. Treasuries. And it is. Uh, uh, it wait, wait, wait! Like... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Now, are you telling me? I, just bear with me. I only perused the news. I, I pulled four or five articles, but I forgot we had Minkin today. Um, are you telling me Russia liquidated all of its treasuries? That that would be a really big financial blow, Joe. Well, you know that's uh, what zero hedge. Russia liquidates its U.S. Treasury holdings. Last month, we showed that trade wars began in April. The world's central banks and other Official institutions dumped more treasuries than in any month since January of 2016. Now it goes How on to so say, much? "Well, with uh, uh, the according to the latest just released Treasury International Capital Update in May, the selling of treasuries by official entities continued uh, with two uh, 24 billion sold in the month of May when the yield." continued to rise and eventually hit its high in 2018. So anyway, it says, uh, but while the selling of treasuries was to be expected, after all, someone had to sell aggressively to push yields sharply higher in April and May, the question was who? And it goes into, uh, it wasn't China, it was Russia. And the amount that Russia, um, let's see, what was it? I had it here. Uh, bringing the total $104 billion, which means over the past two months, Japan was the, the biggest buyer, Russia was the biggest seller. But, okay, here it is. $104 billion Treasury is, holdings, a, is a yes. sizable chunk. That's a decent chunk. Okay, Putin liquidated half of Russia's Treasury holdings, which declined by $47 billion to just $48 billion, the lowest since 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. And it goes on from there. But uh, you can read that article. It's up on Drudge. Uh, it's from Zero Hedge, and it gives you all the uh, statistics, the numbers, and the charts. But it's not—I don't believe it's going to trigger any type of uh, uh, negative impact on our economy. No, it, it We've won't. been raising interest rates, and it's—I uh, think the U.S. dollar seems to be stronger uh, than it has been in the last ten years, even though prices well, uh, on food and other things are increasing. The dollar is, is still strong right now, at least on paper. In a, well, yes, in, in, in a basket of currencies against the yen, the yuan, the euro, etc. Now, we always need to remember that in the late 1980s, uh, the, um, the uh, I forget who did it, I don't remember if it was the Department of Commerce or Treasury, took the cost of fuel and food out of the M2 inflation index. So that's very important to remember that the top two things that people spend their money on aside from a rent or mortgage have been removed from that inflation component, uh, but but I'll tell you I'll tell you this this uh, has been an inspiring conversation. I can't believe the show is almost over, Joe. I'm going to make this my my final comment just uh, for today. I want to give people an idea of what's going on tonight because we've got a pretty good show cooking. 
Uh, tonight on the Hagman Report, <clears throat> 7 to 7.30, we'll have news with yourself and your father, Doug Hagman. 7.30 to 8, we've got yet another uh, debut guest from the Media Research Center. Newsbusters is sending Ken Oliver over to talk about uh, the uh, Antifa appearance on Univision and how Antifa is trying to sack the American Hispanic uh, uh, minorities and, and bring them on board. So we'll have Ken Oliver check in. Uh, we've also got Stephen Minking coming on tonight prior to Pastor Langford. And frankly, I'm actually going to ask Stephen uh, when we speak offline, I'd like to get his take on President Trump and his uh, recent summit with Putin. Uh, and I'm going to ask Stephen to uh, to focus on that rather than giving us the, uh, you know, a full psalm. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, interesting. I'm looking forward to that show tonight. Um, so I found what I was looking for as far as the, uh, the, the connection with Rome and Washington, D.C. And I, I don't mean to be so scattered and come right back to this. But it's no, no, really I'm, I'm glad you did. We just need to do our we just need to do our homework on this because these are great topics. I just I, I, frankly, I'm not prepared. <laughs> There's a website. Uh, Ghosts of D.C. Washington <clears throat> was originally called Rome. One of the estates which made up the original city of Washington was called Rome. D.C. has an interested historical connection to the city of Rome. This might be one of the more fascinating pieces of local trivia we have ever come across. A long time ago, way before the city was in the thoughts of our founding fathers, back in the 17th century, there was a large estate in the area of about 400 acres. This farm occupied the land of southeast Georgetown. Uh, the man who owned the land was fond of Italy and decided to name the estate Rome in honor of the city. The small body of water bordering it to the south was originally called Goose Creek, but then it took the new name Tiber Creek after the Tiber in Rome. Of course, the story wouldn't be complete without the mentioning that the landowner's name happened to be Francis Pope. Wow. You know what? We're Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to make a note of this. We're going to get some guests put together. Uh, I'm thinking we need to talk to the people over at Skywatch. Oh, which reminds me, by the way, uh, I just found out that tomorrow uh, will be Steve Steve Quayle with Derek Gilbert for a full two hours from 8 to 10. And we've also got Alicia Powell checking in for half an hour to talk about her recent article at the Gateway Pundit. So a couple of great nights coming up. But I just got the message while we were on air tomorrow night, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Steve Quayle, along with uh, uh, Derek Gilbert from Skywatch TV. Well, uh, that that sounds great. <laughs> on a side note, uh, a kind of disturbing story. Um, there is on Drudge Report. There is an article to the Daily Mail, a Daily Mail piece. It's on the lower right hand side, and I'll just read you the headline if it's still up there because this is a terrible story. I read uh, basically a, a person who is now a pastor is admitting that he had sacrificed 675 children for Satan. Man confesses to using 675 what? people for sacrifice. Yeah, and I didn't want to get into this, but it's um, he's wearing oh, a mask. Man. He says uh, um, this is a horrible story that he, he said he literally lived with Satan for 17 years. Uh, he spent, and according to this man, who wore a disguise, he... Uh, explained that the 675 people he sacrificed were mostly children given to him by some doctors and nurses who were members of the occult group. The young man also claimed that during his time in the spiritual world, 
he had 664 <clears throat> demonic spirits at his disposal. But the story goes on from there. It's a very disturbing story. It's from uh, G-H-N-A-W-E-B.com. But if you just search, man confesses to sacrificing 675 people. Sometimes I wonder about this stuff. They sound so crazy, you don't know if it's true. It sounds too uh, crazy to be true. But sometimes Too crazy to be true. That's but, the but case. The but, John, we're out of time. The, uh, the okay. music's playing good deal great show all right we'll be back tomorrow until then have a great day join us on Hagman report tonight at seven Daily Show is brought to you by the Hagman Report. Tune in to the Hagman Report weekdays, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. For more information, go to HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com.